With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This crowd rises to its feet. Picaro slammed it home. Garland left wing, three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane, locked. The Mobley, pow! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow! With the left hand and a foul! Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. We are continuing our off-season recap of the year that was with the Wings position group. But before we get into that, I got to introduce my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, bud. Um, uh, got dinner with a good buddy um and uh uh last night i i I was you know you know i'll always enjoy a celtics loss um (laughs) uh, perhaps almost as much as as any cavalier win um so seeing them being sent home unceremoniously uh brought 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 some warmth uh to this cold heart yeah it really did um i was feeling like i was about to be loud wrong on this here podcast for maybe what the hundredth time in the last calendar year where last podcast i was talking about how every top seed in the eastern conference has this bad loss their season is ending on a sour note and for boston to come all the way back force a game seven i got nervous i got nervous that my take was going to age horribly but really that that's just about the most painful way to lose i actually have like a little bit of sympathy would you rather get swept or come back in that fashion and then lose that way at home in game seven i think the 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 answer three months from now would be you'd rather have what the celtics had okay Uh, um immediately maybe you'd rather get swept i don't know um it was such a weird series because i was thinking about it and it was the well, if anyone's going to do it, it would be them, but like six different times. Like if any eight seed was ever to go up 3-0 on, on, a, on, a, on a two seed uh, in the conference finals, it would be the Heat. If any, if any uh, upper seed was going to mess around and get run out of the playoffs, it would be the Celtics. If any team was ever going to come back from 3-0, it was going to be uh, a two seed going up against an eight seed. If there's ever going to be a team that was not going to be deferred by uh, a heartbreaking game six loss at home, it would be the Heat. And it turned out the Heat's, uh, if any team was going to out, outweighed the bo- outweighed Boston's, they ended up taking the win. And man, they've just got to be the toughest, the mentally toughest team I've seen in some time. Uh, they, it didn't even seem like it bothered them that much that they lost game yeah. six. Like, I think anyone would have forgiven them for getting, uh, you know, for coming out flat in game seven or maybe only surviving up to the first Boston run, but they just kind of play their game. They're, they're even Steven, man. You can't take them out of what they do. And, you know, Jimmy there's Butler's so a lunatic. Yeah. Let's, and let's Jimmy, just call it what but it Spo is. is, Spo is a lunatic too. Yeah, that's true. That, um, that's a match made in heaven. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I just think there's so many lessons for the Cavs to take away from this heat run uh, in terms of from the front office finding finding um, underappreciated or underutilized players and turning them into great players, creating a system uh, from a coaching perspective that allows different players to, to thrive every night um, or for entire series that had, you know, previously never done so. Um it is uh, for the players. A guy like Bam Adebayo uh, 
uh, as a role model for Evan Mobley and mm, and big time. for for Mobley to watch his game um kind of expand. There's just so many good lessons I think from this Heat team for this Cavs team to learn. And also it and then also from a from a team building perspective, it is a bank on shooting talent and even mm. if it's not <laughs> consistent if if you bank on it and you have a high variance stretch where you're where you're hitting above your average you can make an NBA finals run yeah yeah it, like it's funny because they weren't a good shooting team throughout the year but so many of their guys for their career were better shooters than the numbers and I guess that's one of the advantages of when you do have a good defense you can kind of have that high baseline. And I guess we saw the opposite of that with the Cavs, right? Where the defense kept them in that series with the Knicks, but the shooting just wasn't there for them. And um, I I guess that to some extent, that's the modern NBA. But uh, on the other hand, they just, they had more options to go to, right? And like Kevin Love didn't, didn't play in this. I did love uh, Kevin uh, victory lapping over every single season. He's been in the playoffs. He's made the NBA finals. I, I, I like that. I, I, I enjoy a 33% that. Percent playoff uh, appearance rate, but <laughs> <laughs> never mind that. I, I did enjoy that. Uh, before we get into the Cavs wings, Carter, I do want to touch on a, a couple other updates at the top of the Eastern Conference. Nick Nurse to Philly. I, I like to see the concentration of all of, of my... All of my basketball <laughs> gripes in one spot of Nick Nurse, Daryl Morey, Joel Embiid, and possibly James Harden. That it, it just makes it simpler from a scheduling standpoint. It does it just... the body and heart good to only have to deal with it a few times a year instead of like eight times. I I also uh, I liked uh, the hiring of Adrian Griffin for the Bucks. Um, I I thought you know even though there were a lot of coaches on the market with uh, championship experience. You look at kind of how the vibes were around those teams, you know, the complaints about not making adjustments, rotations and all that. I, I kind of like going the the new blood route. So um, I, I give the, I still the, wouldn't have fired. I, I still wouldn't have fired, bud. but that's that's me. And we don't need to relitigate that right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I had the tweet from the 2020 playoff run or 2021 uh, title win where I said, even if they win the championship, I'd fire, but which is basically the only time I've uh, uh, weighed in on a, a coaching debate like that. But it was a little tongue in cheek. But Carter, before we get into the position groups, I've been dying to talk about the mail. I, I need to talk about my Winnipeg Sea Bears. And what I ask is that you grant me 60 seconds of Sea Bears, Carter. I, I feel like that's fair. It is the off season. We are starved for content. We don't have a first round pick. I demand 60 seconds of Sea Bears talk. Will you grant it to me? Justin, I would grant you an hour, uh, but I know <laughs> that what we want isn't necessarily what the listeners want. Yeah, but yes, I will, I, I will throw uh, 60 seconds on the clock. And okay. Justin, your time starts now. The Sea Bears kicked off their inaugural season with the largest crowd in CEBL history at a sold-out Canada Life Center. Glenn Yang hit the first basket in franchise history. A deep three off a deflected dribble to beat the shot clock. Splashy signing Teddy Allen didn't live up to the Teddy Buckets nickname, shooting 4 of 23 to get his 13 points on the night. But it was made up for by my MVP on the night. 
EJ Anosike, the man who spent last year in the G League for Texas and Salt Lake City, put up 21 points, 11 rebounds, and was the clear-cut most composed player on the court, along with 22 points from Jelani Watson-Gale off the bench. But we can't have a Seabear segment without shouting out the Winnipeg boys. U-Sport Rookie of the Year Simon Hildebrand shook off some first-half jitters in front of his home crowd and finished with 13 points off the bench and showed some impressive body control attacking the rim. And finally, hometown hero Chad Postumus overcame foul trouble by getting the game winning put back to secure the 90-85 Elam ending win. Seabears beat the Vancouver Bandits. Justin, you got it all in with time to spare. Oh. How about that? Hell I am yeah, so buddy. proud of you. Heck heck of a Seabear Sunday update on a Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think we're still going to call it Seabear Sundays even though we almost never record on Sundays. Yeah. I just I just like the vibe. And uh, you can have a minute of of Sea Bear talk uh, when, whenever you want. Now, Justin, I, I haven't watched yet, but mm-hmm. it does look like there is a streaming option, and I, I, I think I'm going to have to purchase uh, in solidarity. There is free streaming. E- oh even my better. gosh! E- free online streaming. You, you know? Oh they, my gosh! Make it accessible. It's for the children. I gotta say, Carter, the first time really experiencing in person like a well thought out elementing. I loved it. So. The way that they do it is the first stoppage under four minutes in the fourth quarter. They add nine points to whoever's in the lead, and that becomes the target score. So sure. Winnipeg was up 80-67. Normally, you know, under four minutes, no problem at all. They blow that lead. It is 85 all. I am stressed out as hell. Winnipeg hits a three, put back for the win. I loved it. I, I really like going out. Now, where and- were the seats? Where were the seats, Justin? Uh, it's it's right in line with the the free throw line. I'm always looking at that Winnipeg bench uh, or that Winnipeg basket. So any game winner, I'm going to see that. Love that. Uh, but I really I like the Elam ending. It's FIBA rules, so they allow a little more physicality too. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I also got to give out a, a shout out, Carter, listener and fan of the pod, Jeff, uh, who came up to me after the game, uh, season ticket holder, right by me. And said that he is a massive Cavs fan and listens to the pod and re- actually recognized me, which blew my mind. That was there are one hundred percent more Cavs fans in Winnipeg than I thought there were. <laughs> I, I think it might just be us too, and like that was just the universe giving me that moment. Uh, that made my entire day. So I, I needed uh, to to shout him out because that that really was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I've seen our Winnipeg download numbers, Carter. They're they're not they're not great. Uh, go it, go it, see sparse. bears, man. And I love the merch. <laughs> um, you know, if if there's any road to me ordering some, I'm I'm certainly gonna do so. Um, All right. Yeah, if you were really a friend, you'd send me some. But it's fine. It's fine. Um, I'm, I'm collecting my own right now, Carter. I'm I'm not made of money yeah. here. But yeah, I, I understand. I I would I would PayPal you. <laughs> come on. Anyway, uh, we'll this out. is Let's... not what people are here for. Even though I would highly recommend some folks check out uh, check out the next Sea Bears game. It's going to be a a fun uh, season, and we're certainly going to do it whether you like it or not <laughs> on the Chase Town Podcast. Well, well, here's the thing, Carter. Like, I'm a man that consumes way too many basketball podcasts and so many of them are self-indulgent you have like the 30 minutes of banter before any of the basketball talk starts i think a minute's okay i think a a self-indulgent minute what about five minutes after the minute because that's what we just did no no that's that's separate that's talking about elam ending that's something the nba is experimenting with i can justify that i can justify that carter yeah I, i i 
love let's it. Let's just get and, into it. Let's just get into I, the wings. I, 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 lo I love our bears, but let's jump right into our Cavaliers. All right. So we're going to start things off. Position group for the wings. I arbitrarily kind of picked this to be Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro, Jetty Osman, Lamar Stevens, Danny Green. Uh, Dean Wade, I think you could make an argument, could be included in this group, but... Uh, we're doing three episodes and I wanted to stretch them out and, and put them with the bigs. So, you know, I would have put Lamar with the bigs, but I think you're probably right to put him with the wings. I, I was going to, but it, it turned out that 67% of his minutes came at either shooting guard or small forward. This Listen, season. you guard, you guard as many point guards as Lamar guarded this season. You're a wing buddy. There you go. Uh, so I want to kick things off with what went well this season. And I, I would say one of the more divisive players uh, between you and I has been Karis Levert. I really enjoyed the season. I think he got a lot better uh, after the trade deadline, after the pressure of kind of having his name and all those rumors was removed from him. But overall, I thought it was a great season and what you would want from Karis LeVert realistically. His uh, three-point shooting numbers were strong across the board. 39.2% uh, on the year. He shot 38.9% on pull-ups, 39.3% on catch and shoot, 38.7 above the break, 41.3% uh, from the corner. And Basketball Index has this handy number uh, for how your your openness rating on three-point attempts. Only 34th percentile for openness rating. And I think a lot of that comes with those contested pull-ups that he took. But um, this was one of those areas that he really worked on in the offseason. And it really paid dividends. Yeah. Um, he really shot the ball quite well, um, all told. Um he still went through stretches uh, of inconsistency. I still don't think he's a crazy gravity player. No. But um, more often than not, he was a good enough shooter uh, out there. Um, and if anything, he should have taken maybe some more um, uh, from from a volume perspective. So, yes, I, I absolutely think the jumper uh, from three, very specifically, and we'll talk about what didn't go so well uh, later. Uh, but in terms of, you know, I, I do feel like he was a guy that, when he was when he was taking them with confidence, it felt good, and there weren't a lot of wings who you could really say that about consistently, uh, or that you didn't weren't holding your breath a little bit. And he had games where he caught fire from three and and won them games. So I thought that was certainly a strength. And uh, obviously, your next note, I think his playmaking was quite good, um, yeah. especially the first half of the year with no Ricky Rubio. Um, I think part of the reason they weathered that so well alongside some strong minutes from Holonetto is that Karras did a really nice job uh, as, as a primary pick-and-roll ball handler. Yeah, he, he really did, and that was one of the things that we talked about before the season was how much of a need is a backup point guard because you did have uh, strong playmaking numbers or secondary playmaking numbers from Karras LeVert as well as, at the time, Colin Sexton. So I thought that the, the playmaking was really good. He made a lot of passes uh, to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Uh, that really kind of jump out. I, I still think kind of his playmaking, he doesn't see the entire court. Like, I don't think you see him running a pick and roll and then spraying it to the far corner or anything like that. But I, I think what you want from a secondary playmaker, you get from Karis Laverne. I also thought his defense was strong. Uh, again, this is something that's subjective, but the metrics that we do have uh, are positive. He was 86 percentile in defensive EPM. And uh, again, using Basketball Index, which a uh, great site, you guys should support it, uh, 89th percentile for on-ball perimeter defense, which I, I think matches the eye test. I think sometimes he was a little overeager. Uh, we, we can certainly point at, at instances where he fouled three-point shooters and uh, 
kind of possessions on the perimeter that you like to have back. But I, I think it was all in the service of trying to play hard. And I thought his defense overall was really good. I think for what you wanted from Karis LeVert, this, this was pretty a pretty damn good season for him. Even though, as you said, there were some rough patches in there. I, I think certainly um, it was solid. Um, you know, this is a spot where we, we are going to disagree a little bit. Um, uh, but before I disagree, um, and, and we, we have plenty of room to talk about where we want to see improvement, where I can kind of levy some of my concerns. Um, he was very good on ball, uh, Hmm. this season, especially on ball, in my opinion, I think off ball more to quibble with still. Um, but on, but on ball. Uh, I thought he was the second most capable perimeter defender on the team um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, cons- at least especially against guards. Um, you know, I thought he did as good as uh, as Okoro, really, uh, o- over the course of the Knicks series uh, on Brunson. Maybe not quite as well, but, like, he, he certainly held his own. It was mm-hmm. not a layup line. He shut off angles. He played f- more physically than I've seen him play. Yeah. Um, he, he was especially and, good in that game too. Yeah, and I think in terms of uh, just noting what went well in a playoff series that went so so wrong, I thought Karras was okay. You know, <laughs> like I think uh, especially as a scorer uh, in that Knicks series, you know, he averaged fifteen, uh, five and three, forty three percent from the field, thirty six from three in the series. Um, you know, not great, but like just a lot better than everyone else. And that kind of matters. Is Um, it fair to say that if you were going into that series and I told you that line, you would be happy with it because you were assuming you were getting more from the core four. Yes. I think that would be the way I would say it. I, I I think there's plenty to quibble with, even with this postseason run. I don't want to just like give carte blanche praise because I don't think he was awesome in the postseason, but I thought he was good enough for, to be the team's fifth or sixth man. Uh, and the lineup data mostly bore that out, that when those five were on the floor together, the core four plus Karras, they were okay against the Knicks. It was every other minute uh, that, that wasn't so okay. So, um, you know, it, it, I still think he was overtaxed. You know, he, had, he played 34 minutes a game in the postseason. You know, I, I really do think he's more of a 25, 26 minute a game postseason player for kind of max Karras output. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, 13 assists to only five turnovers in the series. Um, uh, I, I think even the, you know, I, uh, 15, five and three in that series goes a pretty darn long way. Uh, and he helped them win a game. He helped them win their only win, uh, yeah. in, in the postseason. So, uh, as a staunch Karis, uh, criticizer, um, uh, and, uh, someone who's always been concerned about the fit, I think he needs to get some love for his postseason play. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Definitely agree there. Uh, moving on, Jetty Osman. Uh, kind of the, the notes that I had that uh, what I enjoyed from Jetty season, thought he well, moved well off ball and he was a willing shooter. Um, I, I think that's one of the biggest things that he brings to the, the lineup. 
Um, you, you look at the early season lineup data, and I, I think that was a big part of why those lineups were so su- successful. Uh, the Cavs need shooting. Uh, they, they have a lot of talented players, and Jetty just kind of made sense as that fifth guy. I thought he had nice moments uh, against the Knicks as well. Um, you know, th- there were moments that didn't go as well, uh, but again, that kind of goes back to maybe being asked to do a little more than he should. Um, and I also think that it's worth noting that he improved his finishing at the, the rim this season. Uh, last year, he was at 61%. That went up to 66%. I, I think uh, to start the year, it was even better, and he had a little bit of a lull in the middle of the year. But um, I, I thought overall, Jetty had a, a pretty solid year. Uh, what kind of stood out to you as his strengths this season? Uh, he uh, continued... Uh in his role as the Cavaliers accelerant in the regular season. He was the cause of many a Cavalanche this season. He was the plus minus God, uh, that could be that high variance player that sparked big runs. Um, I thought is, you know, I think he had his best season as a scorer. Um, he, you know, per 36, uh, he didn't have a career high in per 36, but from an efficiency standpoint, uh, he shot 37% from three on seven threes per 36, 45% uh, overall. Uh, uh, so career best from two-point and three-point percentages um, without a crazy drop-off in his other stats. Uh, I just thought he, I thought he really is a guy who the more you need from him, the worse he looks, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the, but when he gets to just thrive in, in the cracks in this, in the, in the empty spaces and be a, his chaotic self. He really does his best. And the Cavs were more talented this year at the top. And that allowed Jetty to look really, really good in the regular season. So I think that's where I just kind of, you know, put a button on the, on the Jetty discussion and just saying like he did what he did last year, but even better mm-hmm. um, at his best. Yeah. And I, I think some of that, what we were hoping for was there's probably going to be more playmaking this season, right? That they, you know, you have Donovan Mitchell out there. Uh, you might not see that post Ricky Rubio drop off that he had the prior year. And I, I think for the most part that basically bore out. Um, it, it was really just kind of that January lull where, uh, you know, Kevin Love wasn't playing well, Jetty wasn't playing well. And um, just the, 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 that was the worst month, right? Like that, that was the, the month where the Cavs won 500. Eventually they switched to Okoro being in the starting lineup and, uh, things turned around from that point. Uh, that was basically the end of Kevin Love playing as well for this team, uh, which I guess ties in nicely to Isaac Okoro, who I think the biggest improvements uh, that I saw from him this year was I thought he was more impactful as a defender and uh, really kind of blossomed into being more of an event defender rather than someone that's, you know, just kind of in position doing his job, which you really need to be in today's NBA because. The offensive talent is so high and the rules are in such a way that simply just contesting the shots isn't going to really cut it uh, when, when you're a defender. You need to get into guys. You need to disrupt their rhythm. You need to generate those steals. You need to bl- generate those blocks. And I thought he did a great job of that. His steal percentage went up to the 70th percentile from 48th uh, the prior year. 60th percentile in block percentage up from 29th. That's a massive jump. And then utilizing, uh, again, those B-Ball Index stats, uh, on-ball defense, he was in the 88th percentile, and screen navigation, 94th percentile, uh, which all matches the eye test. This is a guy that sticks to his man, navigates screens very intelligently, and obviously, uh, the remade jump shot 
got a lot of the the conversation going into this year started off 0 of 12 from three but after that point shot 39 percent from three so again the volume's low we'll we'll get into that it, it, when we're, we'd like to see improvement but is there anything that i i didn't touch on carter that uh kind of stood out to you that you liked from mccor this year yeah uh it was nice to see his uh shooting splits kind of improve everywhere um uh at the rim last year he was 65 percent. this year is 68 and a half mm-hmm. uh three from the three to ten feet range where he didn't take a ton of shots to be clear um uh he went from 26 percent to 43 percent um and then from three went to 35 from 35 to 36 um and you know it didn't feel like a year where his, all of his percentages got better um but they did uh, even even though he shot a greater percentage of his shots from three, uh, his field goal percentage still went up, uh, you know, 1.4 points. Um, uh, you know, and I think uh, to your point on the defensive end, he did. He is starting to become a, a, a bigger event defender. Um, I think some of that came at the cost of uh, of fouling. He, he fouled three and a half times per 36. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got him in some hot water. I think he had a rough whistle this year, a wholesale. Uh, you that, to- that's fair. Yeah, I completely agree with it. He, yeah. I thought he got a flat out terrible whistle to, to be honest. But again, I'm a big old, big old homer. Yeah. You know, it's kind of wild. I just was looking at his basketball reference page. You know, he's averaged 10.7 points per 36 all three years. I know. It, it, <laughs> that's it, crazy. It's really incredible. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, but his efficiency went up. So, you know, like there, there is, uh, you know, like I think there is probably uh, a class of people who would say Isaac has not gotten better on the offensive end of the ball. And I've certainly have criticized him for not getting better enough mm-hmm. on the offensive end of the ball. But his rookie year. He uh he shot forty two percent from the field, uh and twenty nine percent from three. You know, like those are enormous jumps. That's mm-hmm. seven per seven point four percentage points better from the field and yeah. uh give, and give seven me the field goal percentage three. and three point percentage because I don't think we've said it on yet. Uh forty nine uh forty nine point four from the field this season and uh thirty six from three. So. Yeah. Uh, those are those are meaningful jumps from his rookie year. Now, obviously, his shot diet is much better um, mm-hmm. than you know in terms of he's got a lot more help, so they should be better. But like, I do think you're seeing small dividends. Um, it's just a matter of are those dividends enough to continue, you know, investing in him at that spot? Yeah, and when the volume's that low, to to again kind of play devil's advocate there, when the volume's that low, like swings and percentages can occur, right? Uh, I, I think the the consensus in on three point shots normalizing uh, is seven hundred attempts. It's going to take them a while to to get up to those numbers, right? And we've seen years from guys like Jay Crowder uh, the year before he came over to the Cavs, where he had that outlier year of shooting from three, and sometimes that happens, right? So. Everything about Okoro has always kind of centered around, can he up that volume, right? And I, I think b- before we move on from him, the other thing I'd like to point out is I do think he got better at moving off ball. Like, I, I thought they started to use him more as a screener. They uh, He was starting to be more active, not just standing in the corner. Uh, I still think that that's a major area of growth, and we'll get into that shortly. But um, I do think that there was some growth in, in that area as well. Absolutely. Let's move on to Lamar, who had... Um, a, a weird season, I would say, um, yep. because he kind of, 
in my opinion, he kind of functioned as JB's like, well, at least I know what Lamar is going to give me guy. Like he was, he, he is like, uh, he is, I, I think, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems like he's a coaching staff favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, his time in the starting lineup can, so, can coincide with a lot of wins. Um, so he does get credit for that. Even if the lineup data didn't show that they was that the starting lineup was functioning that well, uh, with him at the, at the three, but, uh, I know that you want to talk about him as a power forward. Cause I, I really, even though he's in the wing group, I thought he, I will agree with you that his best men's were at the four this year. Yeah. It, it kind of is a, a funny inclusion and you, you're right. It, Lamar was the guy where when the intensity didn't seem to be at the level that it needed to be, he was put in, which is kind of funny because I do agree with your assessment. But then you look at the start of the year and he didn't play to start the year. He wasn't in the initial rotation coming out of camp. Uh, It really was that stretch where they were in a bit of a funk. They were looking for some life. Isaac was lost. Isaac was lost. Karras had uh, asked JB to come off the bench. Uh, He thought that was the best way he could contribute. So Lamar was the option that they went to. And uh, eventually Isaac did find his groove and and took that starting spot and and played well within it. But um, Lamar did give them some life. As he said, even though that lineup data wasn't great with with the five of them, uh, he still uh, helped kind of breathe some life into the lineup. And he really did find his niche and uh I, I think the biggest takeaway is he did play well as a power forward i think that's when you can get him the ball moving downhill uh he moves well in those instances he has those couple kind of quick post moves uh turnaround mid-range jumpers that that kind of thing uh that he can really get to in those spots and actually he kind of played well as a big two in some instances too where they use him as a screener uh although i don't think that's the best use of him defensively uh, but his lineup uh, data at power forward, that was easily the best because that small forward is break even uh, at shooting guard in brief minutes. I, I think 17% of his minutes, it was about plus three, but it was plus 6.9 with him at power forward, which was 33% of his total minutes. I, I thought that that was, was kind of the best usage of him. Um, you know, he's a guy that depending on what the Cavs do this offseason, I would kind of anticipate if he's still on the roster that it would be similar to last year where I don't think he would be in the initial starting lineup uh, or in the starting rotation, I should say. Um, but I, I do think, you know, as a kind of break glass in case of emergency, I thought they, they found a little bit of something with him at power forward. This is it. We've got an Amex platinum pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Yeah, I I would agree. Let's move on uh, to Danny Green, who uh, I don't think we have to spend much time because he didn't play much. Yeah, uh, the only note I have is he still has a shooting touch. Still can that's, shoot. That's it. <laughs> he, he can still shoot, and he still thinks the game at an unbelievably high level. Um, yeah. uh, he relocates better than any other Cavalier wing, um, uh, and that just comes from being a really, really smart and one of the best vet wings of his generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he just knows basketball better than any of these dudes. He just does, yeah. um, and uh, I think he still showed that. Uh, 
Yeah, Should and, and let's just yeah. let's just knock out area for improvement. So he he's a free agent. We don't know if he's back, but if he is back with the Cavs, I just have improved mobility, so it's easier to keep him on the court. You know, a little more removed from that injury. Um, as you said, I, I think the IQ is there. I think the shooting's there. If he were to return to the Cavs, uh, I just want to see him move a little bit better, uh, so it's easier to keep him on the court. I, yeah, I have no he, other notes. Yeah, he didn't he didn't move super well. Um, I think everyone knew it. Um, you know, it's hard coming back from catastrophic knee injury when you're 35. Mm-hmm. So, um, very much hoping that, uh, you know, if he is back with the team next year, that he gets, a you know, that he's looking and feeling really good in that knee. And, um, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, he's, I still have quite the soft spot for Danny Green. He's one of my favorite role players, uh, ever. Yeah. He, he he's awesome. Uh, I, I think we, we touched on that when, when he signed, we're, we're both big fans of him. Uh, let's knock out the other kind of quick area for improvement because I, I do want to kind of get into it with Lavert, Okoro, and Jetty. Uh, Lamar, the rebounding needs to improve. If he's going to be a small ball power forward for the Cavs, he needs to get better as a rebounder. Uh, I'm not saying he's necessarily a bad rebounder, but the lineup data was awful uh, in terms of offensive rebounds given up. It's it's amazing that they were plus 6.9 uh, in those minutes for cleaning the glass when opponents were rebounding 33.6% of their misses with him at power forward Carter on the year. Like that's uh, over a third of missed shots resulted in an offensive rebound uh, with Lamar at power forward. And I I guess, you know, that goes to show kind of the the second effort from the Cavs defense to uh, rally after giving up those rebounds. But I do think if he's going to get minutes, if he's still on the roster next year, um, that would be an area of growth just to kind of get more juice out of those small ball four minutes from him. Uh, couldn't agree more. In general, I just kind of feel like this is a, almost a Kobe Altman front office note of like, I just think right now, they, I think last season they just asked too much of Lamar. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, he really is kind of their break glass in case of emergency first choice uh, right now. Um, if, if someone gets hurt uh, and then all of a sudden he's starting games. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like um which is gets, funny because that was wade that was yeah, wade last yeah. year and then wade had had his injury too right so i, I think yeah, and they needed him more because they traded three role three rotation players for one right. um uh but like i just feel like it 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 was asking a lot uh of him to 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 go be that guy for them to be a starter for them this season mm-hmm. uh i i think that kind of reflects on where their depth was and where the rest of the players in around those minutes were were playing um and yeah i just think like he he was probably a spot or two in the rotation too high for my liking um but not because i thought there was a, <laughs> amazing options that should have been getting those minutes so um you know i think that you know some more uh competition for him would be wise i do want to keep stay on the rebounding uh note uh for isaac um mm, that's interesting because um listen I understand he's he's not going to have gravity on offense right now, and maybe not ever. Um, you know, people still ignore PJ Tucker, and he's turned himself into a pretty darn good three point shooter in the corner. Um, but if you're going to be a low volume offensive player that hangs his hat on you know ISO defense, on ball defense, you got to bring other stuff to the court more consistently, and as much as, you know, we've argued in the Discord about 
his role and his use use his role within the offense and how sometimes that can limit him. You know what? You know what is not capped by his role or anything? It's his rebounding, man. Yeah. He averaged uh per 36 uh he averaged 4.1 rebounds playing almost primarily small forward. Mhm. Like you can't be like at the three and like that's part of the reason why the Cavs defensive rebounding isn't where it is because they're not getting a lot of rebounding help anywhere other than Mobley or Allen right now. Yeah. Because Wade is not a particularly good rebounder. Uh, Stevens is not a particularly good rebounder. Okoro, I would say is below average. Yeah. And And, and the funny thing is you just can't be being as athletic as he is, as strong as he is with good instincts. And I know you're not getting get as many defensive rebounds when you're guarding the guy on the other side. Like, there is a, a probably a pretty um, direct correlation there. But even on the offensive boards, only won a game. Like, That's, I just, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing, I want him to be a little, he's strong enough and athletic enough to be chaotic and annoying. Why can't he be, Josh Hart uh, doesn't have a hard uh, time you, grabbing you are, rebounds. You took it from me. You, you took it from me. I was he doesn't have say- a hard time grabbing rebounds while guarding Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and he's shorter than Okor, right? Like, he's yeah. only 6'4". Um, and really that's the biggest difference because you know, Josh Hart at times, he has been three point shooter, low volume, a very similar kind of offensive output. The biggest difference is kind of those, you know, hustle plays and Okoro, you, it jumps out. Like sometimes he does get incredibly impressive offensive rebounds and you're like, I want more of that. Right? Like, do you think to some extent it's a team mentality thing where, they need to be more aware of it. And that's something that they can take away from the next season where there was just kind of an assumption that, Hey, we, we have Jared Allen. We have Evan Mobley out there. We don't need to kind of team rebound at the same level because we have two seven footers. Do you, do you think that might be part of it here? Or is this just kind of, you know, individual skill sets and not something that's going to change unless personnel changes? If it is philosophical, I, I sure hope it changes. Because their philosophy gave them the worst defensive rebounding uh, team uh, after Post the All Star break, and uh, the by a country mile worst defensive rebounding team in the postseason. Yeah, um, I, I uh, completely agree with you. I think that so, this is a really smart point. And... I just I like listen. Like I I'm not gonna ask Isaac to be something he's not. Like I I don't think it's fair. Like I'm not like why aren't you running pick and roll? Because I don't really know if that's part of who he's gonna be. But like, if you're gonna be a low usage offensive guy uh, from a from a shooting perspective, I just gotta notice you, and and you can choose to you can choose to be noticed, you yeah. know. Um, and I just feel like he is too capable of fading into the background. Like I thought, I want to say it's game four against the Knicks where Isaac was a little out of control, but in a way that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I kind of liked it, even though I was like, oh, "Okay, reel it back a little bit, buddy." But like he came in and was like a breath of like of energy. Like he brought that Jetty Osmond chaos, and that's that's I what think, I want to see. And that's he's got a body and, and an athletic profile that should allow him to thrive being a chaos generator. Yeah. Um, and he just I, hasn't been that so far in his career. And honestly, I think he has good rebounding instincts because when he is moving around and he's you know not behind the three point arc. I think he crashes in and gets some really contested rebounds. Like he got some offensive rebounds that were noteworthy uh, against the Knicks. And I think it all kind of ties into, even though his off ball movement has improved, 
think he needs to be more consistently active. I think that's one of our big takeaways, right? Like just how we say he became more of an event defender. He's generating blocks. He's generating steals. Generate those second chance opportunities. Be that that guy that's forcing the defense to account for you because if you're moving around and you're looking to crash the offensive rebounds, you are going to have gravity as a result of that too. So I, I think you're right. I, I think him being a, a more active player would really help him because he is a smart finisher around the rim. He is a good cutter. And when you're dealing with passers, when you're dealing with NBA players that have good vision, their eyes see movement. If you're looking like you're moving with a purpose and you're getting into those passing lanes, guys are going to find you. And, and I think that that is where I'd really like to see some growth because even though the three-point shooting improved, again, the, the, the volume is very low. Um, we talked about how Karras's, uh, openness rating on basketball index was 34%, uh, 34th percentile, which, you know, is low for Isaac. It was the 100th percentile. Nobody was more open than him. And he was only 58% for 58th percentile in catch and shoot, uh, threes, which was 36. His volume was, was in the, in the upper 50th percentile. Either. Right, right. So that, that. It's an area of an improvement. I feel better about his jump shot. I think the form has improved. I, I think he did take some contested looks. I think uh, the willingness to shoot was better, but he's going to need to improve in these other areas. And I think that's how you start to get more juice out of him overall, because as much as I'd like to see him more involved in the offense, and we, we've had our disagreements a, a, about that as well, or, or how you can use him, I, I should say. I do think that the ways... Like, there's only so many possessions. There's, there's so much talent at the top end of this roster. There's only so much possessions. And being that guy that that is a chaos generator, that generates these extra opportunities, that's, you know, the small forward Tristan Thompson, as I called them in the past. That's what you want from Isaac Okoro. And that's where I think the biggest area of improvement is for him. Uh, I, I completely agree. Let's move on to, uh, to Jaddy. Okay. You want to go first? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would go first and, you know, and you're going to hear me loud and clear on this one, Justin, because we're on one of the best video conferencing softwares out there. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I thought we were going to forget it. Uh, I was 100% going to forget it. Like I'm, I put my head in my hands because one, you stole it from me Two, I was kicking myself because I 100% forgot it. Yeah. We were at the 40 minute mark and I was like, "Uh Oh, anyway, (laughs) anyway, uh, uh, Jetty. Um, I just, this is, this is a hard criticism because it's hard for him to address. I just still feel like, at, at on a possession to possession basis, he does not think the game at a high enough level right now, uh, at, at the highest levels uh, that you need. Um, you know, in in terms of spacing out off ball on defense, uh, in terms of 
you know, I, I, I praise Danny Green's relocation skills. I'm going to criticize Jetty's. Um, you know, there were, you know, there were a lot of really good threads during that next series of plays where Jetty is guarded in a corner, but if all he does is slide up five feet to the wing, uh, he's mm-hmm. wide open for a three, you know? And like, you just don't get to get away with not being super savvy in the postseason. You know, there's a reason I'm so biased towards the, all these basketball geniuses that just uh, read the game at a high at the highest level, and I and I index on that much more than I index on on skill set and, and toolkit is because it's stuff like that. You know, it's so hard to teach that, and I just feel like writ large, he still has to get better at reading the small intricacies of the game. Uh, there, there's plenty to quibble with uh, on a from a skill set possession you know standpoint but i still think it's just that macro like are you making like are you making 80 percent of the right decision but not getting all the way to 100 i still think that's jetty's problem i'm glad i heard you out because my knee jerk when you first said that uh, about thinking the game was to disagree because i actually thought his decision making on fast breaks and and some of the half court sets even was better than it was the previous year but i do think in terms of the points you raised about relocation, finding those passing lanes. I think that there's really something to that. Um, is it, again, going back to the, this openness uh, rating, 87th percentile. And, and he's a good shooter, right? Like he's a movement shooter. He's someone that you would think would, would have some gravity. Um, but overall, you know, 87th percentile and openness rating, but 61st percentile and catch and shoot threes, right? Like he's getting great looks and he's hitting enough of them. Um, but I, I do think you're right. And maybe this gets back to even what we were saying about Okoro, which is better off ball movement, finding those spots uh, on the court can manipulate the defense. And um, I, I think Karras's activity and, and certainly some of it's, you know, playing on ball more, that's going to generate more attention from the defense. But I just think his intent, uh, his activity overall generates more attention from, from the defense than, than either of these guys, even though they shoot a decent percentage. So um i i think you're right to point that out and obviously defense is always going to be the number one thing uh when you talk about where you'd like to see improvement from jetty uh out of the the top 10 in minutes played uh he had the worst defensive epm on the team uh was in the 51st percentile uh sometimes gets lost off ball and i i think when you see uh inconsistent minutes from him it's usually generated from you know extended rough play on the defensive end. I, I thought he had some moments. I, I thought, you know, he can dig in. He can make a defensive play. He can go out and get a chase down block. He's got some tools. It's funny looking back at, at the analysis of him coming over to the NBA. It was, ah, this is a, a defense first guy that might be able to add a three. And that hasn't been how it's sh- shaken out. Um, but yeah, that's obviously the the biggest area of growth. I, I think I'm, for him. I'm starting to think we're, we're not scouts, Justin. That hey, that wasn't us. That wasn't us. We 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 aggregate scouts. Yeah, we, we, we just aggregate scouts. We yeah. aggregated the wrong ones. Either way, um, you know, I think that uh, you're right. The defense is there, and then regarding the shooting, I just think if the Cavs are able to add a bona fide uh, capital S shooter uh, at the wing this off season, uh you'll feel the difference between like, oh, we thought Jetty was like this accelerant to to runs by bombing away from three. 
we didn't even realize like what you could have if you get a real volume shooter that really can hit at a high volume a high percentile with the open shots that everyone else on this team gets them that's Honestly, the way like, I feel. even the the glimpses we got of Danny Green when he started playing yep. at the end of the year like he could barely move out there and just he was still just knocking down and, and taking kind of crazy threes and, and just that kind of quick trigger presence is something that they, they haven't had like uh, Jetty's the closest thing we've had to that in a role player in the past couple years uh but like like a guy like you know a guy like Max Struess or someone like that like I think you'll really feel that difference uh, if someone like that joins the roster because yeah, and I don't think he's even a capital S shooter, but I, I think I do. It, I I don't think so. I think I, if you I think if you can hit forty eight percent from any part of the three point arc, you're a capital S shooter. Yeah, I'm I'm not all the way there, but he he's still top of my uh my my wish list for free agents. But I I, I always kind of reserve that for kind of like. A JR or Corver or you know a Danny Green. Sure, type. sure. I, but those are, I mean, those are they're, they're not the going to be shooters available. in the they're, history of the league. Yeah, they're, they're not, and th- there's no free agents that match that kind of pedigree. So, uh, moving on, Karis Slavert. Um, I would like to see him kind of maintain that post deadline assertiveness. I, I thought um, there were times where he deferred a little too much, and it took out his rhythm as a scorer. Um, he needs touches. He needs to be active. And, um, if he is just playing kind of that 25 to 28 minute per night role that, that you were talking about earlier, Carter, I think you want to maximize the ball handling he has in those minutes. I think you want to see if he has it on a given game. And if you're getting kind of one of those nuclear Karis nights, uh, I'd also like to see him get to the rim a little more. Uh, cause I thought he relied a little bit too much on the in-between game. And maybe some of this has to do with the spacing with the Cavs, but I thought post-deadline, he attacked the rim more than he had earlier in the season. Uh, he improved his season-long rim numbers, which uh, the first half of the year was awful. He's going up and dunking on guys, which was surprising to see. I think that he is someone, especially if there is improved spacing, which we obviously hope for next year, I think he's someone that can kind of put some pressure on the rim. He can get to the free throw line, and I, I would like to see that aspect of his game grow. But for the most part, like when you're talking about a Karis LeVert or a Jetty Osman, these are guys later on in their careers. You're not going to see massive changes. So I think those are kind of things kind of in the margins uh, that, that can make a difference uh, without asking them to be someone different than who they are. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel you have to talk about how bad the mid-range shooting was. Uh, from three to ten feet, uh, he was thirty-seven percent. Uh, the year prior uh, with Indy, he there w- the year prior he was forty-four. Uh, from ten to sixteen feet, he was thirty percent. From sixteen uh, feet to three point to the three-point arc, he was twenty-four percent. I mean, this. I mean, he was on balance probably. I don't have the the you know percentiles in front of me you know volume to efficiency on balance he was probably the worst mid range player in the league mm-hmm. from from a shooting perspective in terms of as a player who actually shot shots from there consistently uh, on a team that was trying to win games yeah uh, Dun- Duncan was- threes has him eleventh percentile um thirty two point three percent for mid range. Uh, only player on the team that was worse was uh, Jetty uh, at twenty nine percent. Yeah, I, I mean, and I mean, just a disaster uh, because this 
this is a team that needs that. <laughs> they yeah. they need uh late late shot clock shot generation and he was horrible at it. Um and you know, I don't even know what to say other than I hope it gets better and the numbers suggest it will get better. Yeah. Um I, I uh, think that's know. I think you would be justified questioning if the three point numbers are going to regress a little bit, but I think it's safe to say that the mid range is also due for regression and should improve. Um, you know, I think he should get credit too, uh, for putting in a lot of work on his body, right? Like he came into the season saying, I worked all off season on trying to stay healthy and improving my three point shot. And he stayed healthy and he improved his three point shot. So, uh, maybe, you know, it's a, an adjustment to the role or whatever the case may be, but I just have to imagine that the mid range is better. Carter, do you want to guess who the best mid range shooter was on, on the team by percentage last year? By percentage, not including volume or anything. Not, like that? not even factoring volume at all. Not, not um, even a little bit. I'm going to just say Darius. Rolo, baby. Oh, man. I knew it was going to be silly. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like I thought, you know, the shooting obvious is obvious. I think Karis would probably tell you that his mid range game was very bad this year, mm-hmm. um, and just for whatever reason, the touch was just not there. I mean, he had more rim out than uh, seems possible. Uh, so I'm really hoping for just a straight up progression. I don't even think I, I doubt that Karis wasn't working on his mid range game all year. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna be like one of those idiots that's like get in the gym, work on that. <laughs> You know, because I know he does. Um, Shoot a thousand free throws yeah. if you miss two yeah. in a row. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm just hoping for some regression there uh, to, you know, even slightly below average would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because it was just, it was, that was bad. And then just on the defensive end, I, I and just, I, again, I feel like I feel very obligated to continue to bang the gang ring rebounding drum. Um, there were so many plays where Josh Hart or Quentin Grimes or RJ Barrett just snaked in behind him while he ball watched as a shot went up mm-hmm. uh, and got aboard. And, you know, like the reality is, just like Isaac, you're not going to be able to play the full time three, averaging four and a half, you know, four to four and a half rebounds per 36. Yeah. That, like you just, man. That used they to have be my to rebound the ball. That used to they be my favorite to. thing in the playoffs was out rebounding teams. Just like the Cavs had such a devastating offense, and it was so fun that a few times they'd miss, Tristan would go out and get a second chance opportunities. And I, I that's as much as I want shooting, I do want to kind of get back to that identity because the Cavs defense is so good that if they're ending possessions, if they're not give, giving up second chance opportunities at the rate that they did. This is easily going to be the best defense in the league, uh, assuming that, you know, you, you you improve that kind of personnel. So I, I do think that there is kind of internal changes and, and you're you're correct in highlighting that guys like Okoro and Levert uh, can pl- have a role in, in improving that without even making roster changes. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Caleb Martin, who obviously like, I don't think you go into this offseason or any player expecting like saying like, we're going to get Caleb Martin <laughs> or we're going to find our Caleb Martin who <laughs> averaged nine points in the regular season and then averages 20 in the Eastern conference finals. Obviously you're not going to find that, but over the last two games, he, he grabbed 15 boards and then 10 boards. Yeah. Playing on the wing exclusively. Yep. Like 
The the Cavs didn't have any players who would go get them 10 boards other than Jarrett or Evan pretty much all year. Sometimes yeah. Donnie would get up there. Um, yeah. And they, they, I think more than anything, they need to have a collect. I hope that this offseason is a collective come to Jesus for that roster to say, hey, if we're going to have a team that's small, that requires us, that that we that we think we need to help shit send extra help in shade strong side at the rim because we're small in the perimeter we damn well better help our bigs out yeah. um because we didn't we let him down we let Jared Allen get punked on, on national tv because it was just him trying to make up ground to help to both help cover us at the point of attack and go carve out Mitchell Robinson when he had position like the, the, the everyone on this roster has to come with a gang rebounding mentality next year. Cause it's not like we were leaking out to run Justin. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like you can't play slow and not gang rebound. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I really hope to see them across the board, take that challenge and, of course, I'm going to spin the wing uh, podcast talking about rebounding the whole way because it was a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And you look at the season long numbers, the only players uh, on the Cavs that were above the 70th percentile in defensive rebound percentage. Jared Allen, 90th, Evan Mobley, 88th, Isaiah Mobley, who qualified apparently at 79th. And then after that, everyone's below the 70th and a lot of the, the teams below the 50th, right? Like uh dean wade was the next at the 69th percentile and obviously you know dealing with some I don't injuries even think and, dean's that good of a rebounder <laughs> yeah he's not great but like he, he'd help right like yeah. it, and we had talked about that going into the Knicks series right we're we're hoping that if he was healthy enough to play uh he was a guy that could be that third big and um potentially you know when we're talking uh doing our big man portion of the recap uh, talking about the kind of whether or not allocating resources to get a third big uh, to help mitigate that issue is certainly going to be something that comes up. But let's just rifle through our grades here, Carter. I went B plus for Karis LeVert, B for Jetty, uh, B minus for Okoro. I, I thought he finished the year strong, but you, you can't overlook the the start of the year. Uh, definitely turned around post January. Uh, Lamar C plus, and then Denny Green incomplete. Just can't give him a grade. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think given the way that this season went and the way the postseason went, uh, I did not feel comfortable giving anyone better than a than a B. Uh, mm-hmm. And my grade kind of reflected that. Lavert, I gave a B. Um, uh, and and you know maybe for what for, I, for what you expect from Karis Lavert, because I always graded on that curve. I thought it was B plus worthy. I, I think I think if you get the Karis Lavert, especially the one we got at the end of the season. If you get that as your sixth man, and we'll, we'll talk right away about bringing him back, I'm very happy with that. I think that's a, a high quality. That's a that's a luxury from a team building standpoint, assuming you can fill the hole at, at small forward some other way. I, I think some of the fit concerns remain there for me. Um, okay. And then uh, I just, you know, he, I, I just said I think he was perhaps the worst mid-range shooter in the league. Based on role and details, volume, details, details. So if I believe that, I cannot give him a B plus. But I thought he impressed me in all the peripheral ways. I never expected to be impressed. So um, you know, I think a B is fair for him. Jetty, I also gave a B just relative to role rotation. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to be in the rotation. 
<laughs> to, to start the year. And then Darius got hurt and he found his way back in, uh, carved, mm-hmm. you know, fought his way back in and ended up playing, you know, uh, more minutes than just about anyone off the bench, uh, in the postseason. uh, says some up and down results, but I think a B relative to his expected role. Okoro, I gave a C plus. I don't think you can wipe out, um, the fact that, and, and you know, and part of this, you know, this is an ecosystem, right? Uh, it's not necessarily his choice to have gotten benched uh, for uh, huge stretches of postseason, but he got benched. He wasn't mm-hmm. able to. Uh, he was not able to instill the trust uh, in JB uh, to keep him on the floor um, uh, for for big stretches of that postseason. Uh, and then obviously he just had a disaster first uh, stretch of the year. So I think you have to account for the whole year. Um, and even though he had a really strong middle and. I'll remember that game winner fondly forever. Um, I, I still think it was a C plus relative to where I wanted to see a third year leap um, yeah. from from our guy. Uh, and then uh, Danny Green also incomplete. I mean, he barely got to play and clearly was on uh, you know one and a half legs when he was out there from my uh, vantage point. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. So given the fact that the Cavs do have limited resources, uh, they have the mid-level exception, they have the biannual... um, you know, some second round picks to, to play around with one that they could potentially use this year. Are you down with bringing back Harris Levert and Danny Green? I, I feel like Levert, you have to just because you, you can't lose the asset, like just to begin with. And I think he still makes sense. Obviously, I, I like him as the six man. You down from bringing back Danny Green? Uh, yeah, I, I'll address Levert first. You have to or you have to find a trade, <laughs> like yeah. a sign and trade. Like you can't you can't where the cabs are. Just be like, well, we'll see ya. Uh, you know, they, they're in a, they're in a, between a rock and a hard place there. So even if they were kind of ready to move on and explore something else, they're not going to be able to find an equivalent quality player, um, uh, without, you know, burning their mid-level exception spot. So I, I, I think if I'm, uh, the Cavs front office, I'm trying to bring, uh, Levert back and I'm just trying to get him down to that 25 minutes, 20, 20 to 25 minutes in the postseason. Uh, so you, on nights he doesn't have it, you aren't like, well, we just got to play him yeah. <laughs> and, and figure it out because that's where they were. He was just so important for this team. He was their fifth best player, uh, I think, on balance over the regular season. So, yes, you, I would bring him back. Danny Green, um, I probably would. Um, yeah. I, it depends uh, what other options are available for vet men, but yeah. Yeah, but, you know, with vet men's, like, I think it's so it's kind of fungible in so far as if, if he's back, and you're in camp and he's still running really poorly <laughs> and you're like, uh, maybe we move on, you know? Uh, but I think like the, the thesis of bringing in a, a championship level vet that might still have enough juice. Um, uh, I, I get that. And I, I would be certainly down to do it. Yeah. So talked about it earlier. Unlikely to get an S tier shooter. We'll, we'll disagree a, a little bit about Max Drews, but I'm You're comfortable pro- with a with an A tier shooter. Then. Okay. Okay. 
I, we're unlikely to get a true two eight wing. Like just looking at the options, I I don't think that that's something that you can really guarantee. Uh, in terms of like high volume shooter that also plays defense. Can can I challenge that real quick? Okay, yeah, go ahead. I just feel like we have we have warped three and D to this idea that you have to be like an A tier shooter and an A tier defender to like earn that label, or you're not a true two way. Okay, like. Like I would say, guys like Max Struess, guys like Grant Williams are two way enough. That's fair. Like yeah. you know, like how I mean, how many players qualify for like true three and D if our standards are this high? It's like five, uh, and most of them are superstars. I, so like I, I I just feel like I I'm pushing back on the idea that you can't get a two way wing. Max Struess, I I, I, you know will, what I, think I will two-way push back is? on I will push back on Max being a two way, even though I I've said I, I I really like him. He's not a good defender. He's he, really let, really not a good defender. Here here's what I will say. I think what two way means is you are not so bad on either end of the floor that you cannot be played in a postseason series. I, that I, is what two-way means to me. And to that end, I think the Cavs are very capable of adding a two-way wing. Do, do you want to guess what, what percentile Max Drews is defensively uh, per EPM? Uh, I can. I don't need to because I can watch him play playoff minutes for a team that's going to the finals. Okay, so I know that he can stay on the floor. It, it's sixth, by the way. I don't care. <laughs> I just uh, don't care. Okay, so... What is your biggest priority? So let, let's go from there to let's say you're not able to, to land a, a high volume shooter. Would you be okay with someone that maybe takes five a game? Like let, let's say Josh Richardson, who I think there's some overlap with, with Karras. Like I, I think they both make a, a similar, similar quality brisket, but they, they get there in different ways. I like, like are, are you okay with a guy like Josh Richardson that brings some playmaking that brings some defense and like five threes a game? Um, I think watching that playoff series, the Cavs needed first shooting, uh, second rebounding and third more dudes they could, that they could, that they knew were playoff quality players that they knew were playoff quality players. So if that first option fails, and you're and you're in you're in a rock and a hard place, and it's like okay, Struce doesn't want to come here, and um, you know, uh, and, you know, like I think you just look to add good players from there. Okay. You know, if you can't find the archetype you're looking for, you can't just be like, well, we tried, let's run yeah. it back. Uh, so I think you just try to add more good players to your roster, and then explore adding those skill sets through other avenues, whether That's- it's trades, um, whether it's draft whether it's taking a shot on a few minimum or biannual guys that are, you know like guys like i'm not saying that they should sign this guy because i know you're gonna you're gonna hold your nose when i say it but guys like malik beasley whose value have really dropped over yeah. the course of this postseason I, I won't hold my nose at that i thought okay. you might say dylan brooks which he, oh. even <laughs> even uh, even as a canadian i've got some limits here man uh, you know, but you, you, you take cracks at guys who have that skill set or have demonstrated in the past, even if maybe they have recent things that have affected their stock that make them not mid-level exception players. Cause I think, uh, this, I think two months ago, we would have said, uh, Malik Beasley is going to be a mid-level exception worthy free agent. Um, 
and then he his time with the Lakers went very, 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 very poorly in a high leverage situation. Could hit the broad side of a barn. Uh, and you know all his other weaknesses are exasperated as a result of that. So like I think that's where you start. That, w- that would be a skill set yeah. pickup for sure. Yeah. So if so if your if your plan A fails, which is you know use your biggest chip, your mid level, to go acquire some shooting, then you have to go start trying to chase it on the margins. Mm-hmm. And it's good it's team. Fun. Good teams have A, B, C, D plans. That's fair. That's that's fair. I, I I think we're on the same page there. It's funny how much of a prisoner of the moment I am. Like three months ago, I remember sitting here on this podcast being like, "Man, we just, I'd love a Dylan Brooks, you know, like just you know, an agitator. I know he's not a great three point shooter, but just gets under people's skin. He's such a good defender. And now looking at the playoff run, I'm like, no, no, I can't, I can't do that. I, I would 100 talk myself into Dylan Brooks. Who who am I kidding? But uh, I'll but I also talk, I just I don't I don't want to have to. I don't want to have. I to. would still talk myself into him with relative ease. Maybe maybe an off season a humble pie, um, it gets you gets you where you need to go. Yeah, I'm you know, I'm I'm self aware enough to, to know gotta remember the these same. are humans, guys. They yeah. these are humans who change and grow and learn and some not, some don't, yeah. <laughs> but some do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know, uh, I mean, talk about the Memphis uh, Grizzlies. They they built uh, an entire era of their team on a player that everyone had just decided was uh, a selfish loser in Zach Randolph. So. Um, you know, just don't forget that, that humans change and are different. And, uh, and so even if the player that, even if the Cavs end up signing a player, you don't really care for, um, hi Carter Rodriguez with, uh, Lowry marketing last year. Uh, those guys can, are, are the masters of their own fate a lot of the time. So, um, whatever direction they go, you know, I, I think like we joke about being able to talk ourselves in anything, but I will try because I, I want these guys to succeed. And even if I don't necessarily love whoever, whatever they end up doing, you know, I think I, I'm going to look to find, you know, every outcome, not just the ones that match my, uh, my very limited perspective. Yeah. And, and if you want to listen to people that don't learn from their mistakes and don't improve, you can continue to listen and support the Chase Down podcast. Uh, big thanks to everyone that tuned in live on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast and you want to support us, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of our exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs. Okay.